Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, everyone. My name is Avanti Damley, and I'm an immigration attorney in Ogletree's Raleigh office. And I'm Carol Lancaster. I'm also an immigration attorney in the Raleigh office. And today we are going to do a rapid fire summary of the top five employment based immigration updates. So to start off, number one is the proposed fee increase by USCIS. Um, They announced this earlier this year. They went through a notice and comment period in the rulemaking process that closed on March 13th. And so we don't have the final version yet, but some of the notable increases to the filing fees that were included in the initial proposal include the H-1B visa. Currently, the filing fee for H-1Bs is $460. In the proposal, this would be increased to $780. The L1 filing fee is also currently $460, and this would be increased to $1,385. So that's a pretty significant increase. Another common filing is the adjustment of status, also known as the I-45 filing. The current fee for each I-45 filing is $1,225. This is going to be increased in total to $2,820 once you include a new fee for I-131 and I-765 applications. So currently, we are able to file I-131s and I-765s, which are an additional application for work and travel authorization. We include these with I-45 applications most of the time. And when they're included together with the I-45, they don't have a separate filing fee. So this proposal would change that so that these do have separate filing fees, which is part of why that new total for a typical adjustment of status filing would go all the way up to over $2,800. These are pretty significant increases. Kara, can you explain why USCIS is doing this now? So there's a few different reasons. Um, USCIS has explained that you know they have many humanitarian applications where they do not charge any filing fee. And so this is to kind of make up for some of that gap of, of you know applications where they're not generating any fees. They also know that they have really s- severe processing backlogs across a lot of different application types. And essentially just the cost of doing business, the cost of hiring more USCIS employees in order to cut down on those backlogs uh, requires them to have more funding. And they are a fee-based organization in the sense that they are completely, almost completely funded by filing fees. So they're suggesting this increase to essentially just have the funds that they need to operate effectively and efficiently. All right, Avanti, I think you're going to talk about number two, which is expansion of premium processing. Yep. So USCIS, for a number two topic, USCIS has decided to continue to expand the premium processing option for certain non-immigrant and immigrant visa types. So let me just explain a little bit about about what premium processing actually is. So premium processing is a service that with an additional filing fee of $2,500, 
that you can upgrade an existing or new petition to the immigration services to have that being processed by premium processing. So that means that it's just going to guarantee that USCIS will have an update on that application within 15 calendar days of that uh, of that petition being upgraded. So until recently, premium processing has only been available to certain non-immigrant and immigrant visa types. Uh, USCIS recognizes that processing times over the last couple of years have significantly increased making wait times even longer for applications and even certain extensions when people are waiting for, you know, continued work authorization. They're starting to notice that there is a long backlog of petitions that they're still working through. So they have announced a phased approach to expanding premium processing to various other petition types to help sort of work through that backlog and push along some of these petitions more quicker. So until now, um, in terms of green card applications, premium processing was available to to some, but not all green card applications, specifically the I-140 form. So now USCIS has expanded premium processing to all EB-1 and EB-2 and EB-3 green card filings. So that's a huge improvement from what it used to be. So this includes now EB-1 multinational manager petitions, as well as EB-2 national interest waiver petitions. So essentially, this means that all I-140 immigrant petitions can be filed with premium processing. So that's, that's a great update, especially for folks that are going through the green card process right now. Now, for the non-immigrant side, we do have also a good update. So specifically for F1 students who are actively applying for that OPT EAD card. So they are applying for that I-765 EAD application. These can also now be upgraded to premium processing. So right now, only petitions that are actively being processed by USCIS can be upgraded. Effective on April 3rd, brand new I-765 applications can be filed with the premium processing fee. So essentially, in about a, about a week, week and a half, all 765 EAD applications for F1 students can now be filed with that premium processing fee. So I think that's also going to help students to obtain that work authorization a little bit quicker as they're waiting to start those new jobs. Are there any other areas or application types that USCIS has mentioned expanding premium processing to? Yeah, you know, we have heard for the last, at least the last year, USCIS has made comments of hopefully expanding this to also dependent applications. So specifically those H-4 EAD forms, you know, as I mentioned, it's currently just available for F-1 EADs and and that's the only EAD application right now. So we are really hopeful that these premium services will expand to some of those dependent applications, which I know will be really helpful to, to a lot of folks out there. All right, so update number three is the equal pay transparency laws. And basically, there are various pay transparency laws that have been enacted across different states and different local jurisdictions. Um, A few of those locations include California, Colorado, Connecticut, New York, Rhode Island, and Washington. And essentially, they have different requirements, you know, depending on the state or local jurisdiction that you're looking at. 
Most of them do require a certain level of transparency in terms of including salary information on job postings. And so, you know, if you're wondering why this has a relevance to immigration, it's because we do a process for green card applications that involves um, job advertisements. So the PERM labor certification process does include a stage where we recruit for a foreign national employee's position. That includes advertising for the job in traditional locations like newspapers, as well as um, websites and career sites. So what we have to do now is kind of balance the PERM regulations with these local and state laws about equal pay transparency. The PERM regulations do not typically require including salary information on most of the job advertisements. And so now that we are including that in order to comply with equal pay transparency laws, we also have to make sure we're complying with PERM regulations in terms of prevailing wages and what is the absolute minimum that employers should be offering for that role. So it's a little bit of a balancing act because on paper, PERM regulations and equal pay transparency laws are completely independent of one another, um, but they do intersect in this kind of one nuanced way when it comes to PERM applications. I will go ahead and start topic number four. So topic number four is specifically about the visa stamping process. Continuing on the theme of the backlogs that we've kind of been alluding to in some of these other topics, backlogs have also happened around the world at all the consulates. During COVID, they almost had to stop almost all appointments um, for visa stamping. So the Department of State essentially is working to resolve these backlogs by choosing to waive some of those visa in-person interview uh, requirements. For some visa stamping processes, you know, you usually do have to book that appointment and then appear at an in-person interview, talk to a real consular officer and go through those processes to, you know, obtain that actual visa stamp in someone's passport. Well, to help sort of work through that backlog of appointments, uh, the Department of State has decided to continue to waive that interview requirement through the end of this year. So that means that through December 31st, 2023, U.S. consulates around the world will continue to uh, waive that interview requirement, say, if someone has already had a U.S. visa before or if this is not their first time applying. So in certain situations, they will choose to waive that interview. I think this is really going to help and it already has helped um, improve employment wait times around the world. And, you know, just looking at some numbers in the last few years, we're not quite at pre-COVID levels in terms of visa issuances yet. But between 2021 and 2022 alone, you know, we've seen more than a 144% increase in the number of visas that were issued. I think somewhere around 6 million uh, visas were actually issued in 2022. So we are certainly getting there. I think appointment times are improving because of the interview waiver. So I think this is good news all around for folks that are traveling and looking for uh, obtaining a new visa stamp. All right. And last but not least, update number five. Uh, We just completed the registration process for the H-1B annual lottery this year. The registration period ran from March 1st to March 17th. 
There were some issues with the USCIS registration website. So they extended the registration period to 5 p.m. on Monday, March 20th. And we don't know exactly how many registrations were submitted this year yet. We do know that over the last several years, particularly once the lottery process shifted to an electronic registration format, we have seen a steady increase in the number of registrations submitted. So we would expect to see the same thing this year. Unfortunately, what that can mean is that um, with a higher demand and consistent supply, uh, we see lower selection rates each year because of the number of individuals registering going up. So um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see once we get the results, uh, which we expect hopefully by March 31st. Um, and, we'll, and we'll see what that selection rate looks like. Kara, I know in some years past, there's been a second and maybe even a third round of lottery. Uh, can you help explain you know, why that happens or if it might happen this year? Yeah, so the first few years of the electronic lottery process, they conducted additional selection rounds later in the year, usually somewhere between you know August and November. Um, and this was because when they did the first round of selections, there was a certain portion of those that went unused because the individual didn't end up, you know, maybe joining that company or the company didn't end up transferring them to the U.S. Whatever the case may be, they didn't use that selection. And so USCIS can reallocate those to additional registrants through subsequent selection rounds. We actually did not see an additional selection round in the most recent lottery. Um, they confirmed that they had met the quota with the number of selections that they used in the first round. So um, it does seem like they've taken the approach to proactively select more than the quota allows under the assumption that there will be a certain percentage that go unused. So um, it's hard to say whether there will be a second or even third selection round this year. Um, it's just not something that we know until USCIS makes the announcement. All right. And that concludes our top five rapid fire employment immigration update for everybody. It's been a very eventful last couple months and we will look out for even more updates to come. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.